Well, have you ever noticed how easy it is to be wrong about something? Uh, In Matthew 28, at the conclusion of this detailed account of Jesus' public life and ministry, uh, Jesus is giving final instructions to his apostles. And we are told that when they saw him, they worshipped him. And that's one of those scenes that I would love to, you know, have on a YouTube video or something right there. That, that, that point where he has given them instructions through Mary of where to go in Galilee and where he was going to meet up with them. And so when they saw him, they worshipped him, it said. But then it says, but some doubted. And that's where I think, Wow, really? I mean, these are the apostles. They were there. They had that front row seat for all the signs and wonders. And then yet, some of them are still doubting. And that's exactly my point, church family, of how easy it is for us to be wrong about something. In Proverbs chapter 25, don't preach from Proverbs too often, but I was struck by uh, these verses, beginning with verse 8. What you have seen with your eyes do not bring hastily to court. For what will you do in the end if your neighbor puts you to shame? If you take your neighbor to court, do not betray another's confidence. Or the one who hears it may shame you, and the charge against you will stand. Like apples of gold in settings of silver is a ruling rightly given. Now, you think about those words. There's some layers there. But what I see there is just because you think you saw something, you may not see what you think you saw. That there's typically more to the story, isn't there, church? We see something and we don't know the context in which it's actually occurring. Uh, There is a show uh, that I watched some years ago. Uh, It was a police drama set in Los Angeles. And the show focused on this one rookie on the Los Angeles uh, Police Force, Los Angeles Police Department. (coughs) And every rookie... Uh, is assigned a training officer for one year after they finish with the police academy. And so a training officer is obviously uh, someone who's more experienced, someone who wants to be someone who trains younger officers. And so there is, uh, this this particular rookie has an amazing first day on the job. I mean, is going to be likely... Uh, likely up for the Medal of Valor because of something that happened in his first shift as a Los Angeles police officer. But then there he is shortly thereafter and now he's kind of keyed up and they're driving and he sees something and he thinks it's a robbery in progress. Well, it was. 
But it turns out the person holding the gun was the shop owner and not the perpetrator. And so uh, he yells to stop the car and he blurts out the code that there's a 10 whatever in progress and he slings the passenger door open and goes running right in. His officer has barely had a chance to put the car, his, his uh, partner has barely had a chance to put the car in park, much less get out and be his backup. But he goes running in and then he is pointing a gun at the owner of the shop. And then the other officer gets in there and has him lower his weapon and explains to him, hey, you know, things are not always as they seem at first. That's why you wait for your backup. And he's explaining to him, that's why you don't rush to judgment. You don't act too hastily. And so the Proverbs writer here is saying, hey, uh, you know, what you've seen with your own eyes, don't bring it hastily to court. There may be more to it. And then you give your testimony in court, and then you're the one who's put to shame because there's more to the story. And then what's the result of you being put to shame? Well, you damage your reputation. You're someone who is not trustworthy. And so how many times in life can we see something and without seeing the full picture, without understanding context, we can just immediately snap to judgment. And yet it's not at all what we think we saw or what we initially understood. And so I give an example. It's an old preacher story that I heard decades ago. And uh, uh, Stephen Covey, if any of you have ever read Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Stephen Covey even includes this story in his book. And he tells the story of one Sunday morning on a New York City subway. He said that people were sitting quietly. Some were reading their newspapers, the Sunday paper. Uh, And so they're reading their newspapers. Some are lost in thought. Some are resting their eyes, kind of sitting there with their eyes closed. And he said it was a calm and peaceful scene. And then suddenly a man and his children come into the subway car at the next stop. And now all of a sudden the whole serene and quiet mood of that car has suddenly changed because the kids are noisy and they are rambunctious. And so the kids are kind of yelling at each other back and forth and and, uh, the father of these children sits down next to a gentleman and the children are are making lots of noise and and they're even going up to other people and kind of messing with their newspaper and stuff like that. And when the guy had just had just all he could tell he looked at this father who was sitting there and seems to be just completely oblivious to everything that's going on. And he said, Sir, is there something you can do to have better control of your children? And as the story goes, the the man kind of opens his eyes and looks up and 
And he says, in response, he said, well, yes, you're right. Uh, I guess I should do something about it. Uh, We just came from the hospital, and their mother died about an hour ago. And he said, I just don't know what to think right now. And he said, and I'm sure they don't know what to think right now. Of course, the man felt horrible about what he had thought about this man. It was easy to rush to judgment that this father is just completely aloof and irresponsible and disconnected. Why would anybody allow their children to act like this in a public place? But then once he was granted context, it brought understanding. And so that in that moment, he replies and said, Sir, I am so very sorry. Is there anything I could do to help you? Now, Covey presents that in his book as what he calls a paradigm shift. That our thinking completely changes once we understand something or once we see it in a different way, in a different light. But it's an example of why we should be slow to rush to judgment. There is a meme that I've seen uh, on social media. Uh, Some of you have probably seen it. Uh, You never know what kind of battle someone else is fighting. And that's very true, isn't it? We don't know what kind of financial battle, what kind of relationship battle, what kind of emotional battle someone else is dealing with. You know, the person that seems distracted when they're waiting on you. We don't know what they're experiencing. I was in uh, Barnes & Noble some years ago, and some of those locations have a little Starbucks coffee shop in them. And uh, I was uh, right behind somebody at the counter and the gentleman in front of me had placed his order and the barista was uh, taking care of it. I just wanted my big uh, you know, oatmeal raisin cookie that's the size of your head that I really didn't need in the first place. But he places his order for his you know, giant mocha latte, whatever, and... Uh, She's in the process of making that, and the phone rings. And so she goes and answers. It was the it was the store phone, and she goes and answers the phone. And you could tell that there was a family member. I don't know if it was a sister, a brother, a mother, but somebody in the family had just gotten a diagnosis. And so they were calling her at work to let her know what was going on. And so she kind of comes out of that little room, and now she's got tears in her eyes. And I remember thinking, wow, I don't think I need that cookie so bad after all. And I remember the compassion of the gentleman in front of me whose, you know, whose order uh, she was in the process of filling. And I remember his response and how he immediately said, you know, I am so sorry, you don't even have to finish making that. But we could only hear her into the conversation. We could obviously see the look on her face, the tears welling up in her eyes. And she said, no, no. She said, I'll finish this. 
I just remember thinking at that moment, and it's kind of has obviously remained with me all these years, that it's just in, in the blink of an eye, in an instant, life as we know it can potentially change. And when we're seeing someone else, we don't know what they're going through. We don't know what their battle is. And so we as God's people, I think, have a real responsibility to be people who don't rush to judgment. Don't connect dots that are not actually there. Don't make any uh, rash assumptions. Another story I want to share with you is actually from a moment in U.S. history. Former President Richard Nixon, who is infamous for being at the center of the Watergate scandal, and it was uh, something that happened in history that really rocked a lot of people's uh, faith in government, and uh, it, it rocked a lot of people's confidence in the office of the U.S. presidency. And so uh, Nixon uh, had, had brought sort of disgrace on the office and, on, uh, and to the nation itself in the eyes of the world. When a former U.S. vice president had passed, uh, Hubert Humphrey, Nixon attended his funeral. There were dignitaries from all over the country and other parts of the world, yet Nixon was made to feel unwelcome. People turned their eyes away and conversations ran dry uh, around him. He could easily feel, feel the, uh, the ostracism that he was on the receiving end of. And then Jimmy Carter, who was the U.S. president at the time, uh, walks into the room. Carter is from a different political party as Nixon. And uh, he's a man known for his honesty and, and integrity. A lot of people would conclude, to, even today, that probably one of the most uh, upright human beings to ever occupy the Oval Office. Some would argue that, you know, he wasn't necessarily the best or most capable leader but that he certainly was certainly a, a, a genuine and good person. And so um, he moved to take his seat, and then President Carter noticed Nixon standing all alone. Carter immediately changed course, walked over to Nixon, held out his hand, and smiling genuinely and broadly, he embraced Nixon and said, Welcome home, Mr. President. Welcome home. The incident was reported by Newsweek magazine, which wrote, If there was a turning point in Nixon's long ordeal in the wilderness, it was that moment and that gesture of love and compassion. Nixon certainly had done nothing to deserve it. It was an act of pure grace on Carter's part. And so when the Bible speaks of God's blessing, it speaks at exactly that same way. When we are recipients of grace, it is because we have done absolutely nothing to deserve it. But God thinks enough of us to be gracious and forgiving toward us.
And so what we see as we see this unfolding, we see examples of how people have rushed to judgment, and we see examples of how people have responded with graciousness, the kind of graciousness that we are to respond with as well. I want us to look over in James chapter 3. I'm going to read, look at portions of James chapter 3 and uh, James chapter 4. Beginning with verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. If you'll move down to uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so, as we begin to conclude our time together this morning, we have to think about how we see things. We have to think about how we view other people. Let's view them through a lens of grace, church family. Let's be people who view others and say, you know, I'm not sure why they act that way, but they may be fighting battles that I know absolutely nothing about. And instead of us being overly critical toward other people, that we are a people who extend grace. How many people, I wonder, saw Jesus hanging on a cross outside the city walls of Jerusalem and thought, well, they don't do that to innocent people. I guess that guy got what he deserved. A lot of people were starting to follow him. But boy, this this might be a game changer. Well, little did they know, right, church family? That was a game changer because that shed blood on that cross ushered in an entire new covenant. That he shed that blood for some, even for those very people who were pointing and being critical. 
those very people who didn't understand the context of what was going on. And so those very people that had mocked him or had doubted, he was shedding his blood for them just as he, as much as he is shedding his blood for a group of faithful people who are here on Sunday morning, even on a holiday weekend, that Jesus died for all of them. But how easy was it for people to be wrong? How easy is it for us to still be wrong about different situations today? One of my favorite bands is U2. And uh, uh, the front man, Bono, is a child of God, professes Christianity. And he wrote this, uh, this album that came out about 23 years ago. Uh, he wrote a song called Grace. And in the lyrics it says, Grace, she takes the blame, she carries the shame, removes the stains. It could be her name. Grace, it's the name for a girl. It's also a thought that changed the world. And when she walks on the street, you can hear the strings. Grace finds goodness in everything. What once was hurt, what once was friction, what left a mark, no longer stings. Because grace makes beauty out of ugly things. Grace makes beauty out of ugly things. The title of today's message is Beauty Out of Ugly Things. And when we extend grace to other people, we're an extension of God's love and God's grace in those moments. And aren't we in our own way helping to make beauty out of ugly things? Whatever ugly the behavior, whatever ugly the rumors, whatever ugly the false conclusions, maybe the correct conclusions. But who are we to judge, our scripture says? It's not our place. That judgment seat is reserved for the one who knows all and sees all. It is our place to love to forgive and to be gracious and in so doing we make the ugly things of this world a bit more beautiful if you're here this morning and you are not yet a child of God we offer an invitation so that you can walk the aisle and proclaim in front of us this morning that I do believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. With that simple confession, we make the waters of baptism available to you this morning that you can begin a new walk with God. Your spiritual journey can begin right here today. And if you're with us this morning and you've got something that's weighing on you and you would appreciate the prayers of brothers and sisters in Christ, then we offer the invitation for that reason as well. Let's stand together and sing.